Hello, welcome to the Charity Impact Podcast, the in-depth podcast for people working in the charity sector or more broadly to achieve social impact. I'm Alex Blake, your podcast host, and I'm joined today by Annie Legg from Dot Project to discuss digital resilience, the funding landscape for digital projects, tech for good initiatives, convening networks and running a cooperative. Annie has worked in digital since the 1990s with international experience across startups, SMEs, global brands, and social impact organizations. Thanks to previous guest, Emma Beeston, for the introduction. If you listen to the podcast, you'll have heard me asking if you could help get the word out by rating or following on your podcast player or sharing our posts on email or social media. So I'd just like to thank those of you who have been. I've seen posts recently from Howard Lake, Mark Longbottom, Annie Constable, Dave Terrace, Northeast Young Dads and Lads Charity, the New System Alliance, and not to mention lots of other people who have liked and retweeted and reshared our posts. I really appreciate it personally. And more importantly, I think our guests are sharing such valuable insights, experiences, tips and resources that the more people who find out about the podcast, the better. And we've got some great guests booked in for the next couple of months. So if you'd like to find out who they are and have the opportunity to submit a question for me to ask, you'll need to subscribe to our free emails via the banner at the top of our website. So welcome to the podcast, Annie. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Awesome. No problem. Looking forward to um, bringing my digital knowledge a bit further up to speed after our recent, we had a recent episode with Ross McCulloch, who took us through a load of load of um, stuff around digital capabilities for charities. Um, so first of all, just do you want to just tell us a little bit about the work that you do at Dot Projects, just to give us that context? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm Annie, one of the co-founders of Dot Projects. So Dot Project, we are a social enterprise, we're a non-profit, and we work exclusively with social organisations, primarily, primarily that means charities, and what we're doing is really advancing their digital resilience so that they're best equipped to support society. And I guess I think it might be helpful for me to define what we mean by digital resilience for us. Um, that's really about the organization's ability to engage with change. So withstanding disruption using digital to maintain their operations, but as well as prepare for and take advantage of the way the environment is constantly changing. Um, and we do that primarily through sort of two different levers, and that's how we like to kind of explain it. One is the sort of technology side, which is really about looking at the strategy, the digital strategy, the systems that the organization has, and the way in which data supports um, the organization. And then alongside that, we're always looking from a team's perspective. And to us, that's really about building the confidence the collaborative structures and also the governance practices within the organization and to us it's the combination of these together that really is all about digital resilience so we work directly with charities but we also work alongside funders helping them to design and implement funding that's specifically around digital for the charity sector yeah great and i wanted to ask you about that just looking at that sort of um, funding landscape for digital projects can you sort of share what your experience has been around that yeah I mean it's changed enormously so we launched dot project back in 2016 and one of the things we'd really observed at that time was there was a lot of funding for sort of building new things so building new tools new systems and it seemed to be that there was a lot of repetition as well so different sectors building similar technologies I think what we really felt was there was a kind of missing gap between 
about actually digital within the organization itself. So having those kind of strong foundations and knowing how to engage and work with technology before you then go and invest in building something new. Because I think one of the real challenges is then, you know, once you have new digital products, you've got to look after them. Um, so it seemed that there was a lot of funding around the building of the new, but much, much less around actually that kind of core digital resilience piece that I was just talking about. Mm. Yeah, because it's it's no good having the shiny new system if no one knows how to use it properly and then people don't don't put the data in correctly and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and so, I mean, what have you found in terms of the the sort of funding and support that's available at the moment and what's the what's that typically look like what are charities able to access yes i guess the real change started to happen during covid when when suddenly there was a lot of funding around digital you know that kind of really obvious recognition that actually nothing can happen unless we do some things digitally so we saw a lot of funding come out during that uh, couple of years, really. And that was quite flexible funding, um, funding for obviously building a new digital like websites, digital services and products. But also we started to really see that kind of more widespread recognition of it also being about digital skills. It being about actually, do you have the right infrastructure, like the right tech, you know, the right IT? Do you have laptops? Um, do you have all the systems that you need for people to be remote working? So there was a lot of funding. They were quite short term. Um, and a lot of it was just kind of quite one off, I suppose, in terms mm. of those kind of couple of years. And I think we were really, really hopeful um, that that would kind of be a fundamental shift, um, that actually there was a recognition that funding for digital needs to be around core capacity building, as well as actually building new things and new digital services. But I think what we've really noticed, particularly in the last maybe nine months or so, I'd say, is that it's really, really hard to find the digital funding again. It mm. seems to be that priorities have shifted. Um, quite obviously, you know, we have a cost of living crisis as well. You know, there's a lot of challenges that organisations and funders indeed are facing as well. But from the charities that we speak to, they're finding it really difficult to find the right um, types of funding, particularly around this kind of core capacity strengthening work, the types of work that we we obviously do at Dot Project. Yeah, it certainly seems like there's less funding specifically for digital projects um, lately. I know, as you said, there were there were kind of a few grant programs that that were specifically for digital. Um, and so I suppose it's it's often difficult, I think, for charities to pitch digital projects um, to funders who often are not sort of digitally focused and don't have that kind of background themselves. Um, so it's harder for them to kind of understand it in comparison to a, a more sort of traditional service delivery type application or or even the kind of core funding proposals that are just kind of setting out the overall work. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point because it really, you know, from our experience and the relationships that we've built with funders as well, it, it you really need to have that understanding within the funder of the difference mm -hmm. that that's going to make to the organisation, um, particularly also about giving that kind of flexibility, I suppose, to, to the charity themselves to know what they need in terms of that digital strengthening piece. You know, there are some very innovative funders out there, some very flexible funders, but they're also very hard to find. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I uh, actually researched quite recently, I was looking in again at, you know, which 
you know, where there were some digital priorities amongst funders, but also looking at like corporate foundations, sort of smaller and larger ones. But actually what I what I noticed was particularly the larger foundations, for example, are are often, you know, they don't accept sort of inbound inquiries, if you like. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it really, really difficult to you know, get yourself heard. But also the sort of smaller foundations that may be a little bit more flexible are also really hard to find mm-hmm. um, and to really understand what their priorities are as well. So I think it's really hard for charities to actually navigate that funder landscape because it is shifting all the time as well I think there's the the obvious big um you know the sort of ones that everybody's heard of like Comet Relief and National Lottery and they've done amazing work from a digital perspective um but I guess their priorities um will be shifting as well yeah I mean I know for example with the lottery they had um one or, or a couple of um big sort of digital programs didn't they but they're once they're closed, then it's kind of the business as usual stuff doesn't have any any clearly kind of digital focus there. It's um, so I think yeah, again, it's one of those where you look at it and you think, are they interested in proposals that are about digital projects? Because there's nothing to suggest that they are. Um, but their their sort of main open programs are quite broad in their criteria, um, and they're probably probably lots of sort of trusts and foundations that fit into that as well they've got you know they're kind of saying to applicants you tell us what you need um but are they open to those sort of digital projects i think it's quite difficult for charities to kind of take that risk of of pitching that when that's yeah it maybe feels like a higher risk than alternatives yeah but um, i guess you know the ideal future is going to be when you know digital is part of every single project <laughs> yeah so i suppose wrapping it into yeah. does and I think what well, you know definitely with the National Lottery they've been um, obviously particularly focused on digital for quite a long time so I do think that they are one of the funders who you know, will you know are, are sort of quite open to the digital aspects of the projects that you might be looking mm. to implement uh, less sure about some some of the smaller ones necessarily but I think certainly with like the digital fund um, the National Lottery Heritage Fund we've worked on a few of these different programs and I think they are a lot more understanding now of actually digital is inherently part of anything you're going to be doing. I think mm. the challenge comes from when it's all about the project funding. And that's yeah. the bit that we find you know, really, really challenging because digital is ongoing. I mean, you know, even from your personal life that you constantly have to update your phones, yeah. you constantly have to update yeah. your laptops and your networks yeah. and all of these things. It's just the same, isn't it? Yeah. When you're working in a, in a charity as well, these things have to be looked after. People have to have the skills and the right technical knowledge to make some of those decisions. Um, and it's really, it's like having, I often refer to it, it's like having a child. <laughs> once you, you know, Once you've got that in place, you've got to look after it like anything else, like your building um itself yeah yeah and i suppose when you're when you're um applying to those large funders if you're going to someone like the lottery and you you're pitching for maybe 100k a year then you can kind of wrap in those digital costs you can get get the cost of maybe buying buying something in um and maybe getting some of that kind of capacity building support in there as well within that kind of 100k cost um whereas at, with some of the smaller sort of funders it's yeah you can't you can't necessarily wrap in all of those costs because there, there's just not enough scale there yeah uh, I think it's also there about the time that you know what we 
have done a lot of advocacy around as well as the amount of time it takes to ramp up for quite mm. significant digital projects you know in order to apply for funding obviously you get as many quotes as you can and you try and look and see how long the project's going to take and what partners you might work with but it takes a really long time to actually get those things in place once you, you know, once you have the funding and you're able to move forward with your project there's often very little time built in for organizations to start their projects and actually do mm. that really important groundwork which includes things like you know contracts um getting multiple quotes really trying to understand what your um you know the partnership that you're setting up and it's the same actually at the other end of the of this of the project it's actually what's what's actually going to make this project sustainable now what do we need to do ongoing what's our kind of longer term commitments yeah and in your work with funders have you have you delivered support as part of most kind of grants plus type programs where the the funder provides a grant and then they also provide some consultancy support from a, a provider like yourselves have you been involved in some of those types of projects yeah actually most often we have so national lottery digital funds yeah we were we were a partner on that fund as well supporting a number of the organizations through their digital grants uh, and again, most recently with Comet Relief, um, one of their programs funded by the Ministry of Justice. Uh, obviously, they were giving significant grants actually to the to about fourteen, actually no, about twenty organisations within the sexual abuse and domestic violence sector. And we were brought in as a partner to help, obviously, design you know the application process and the design of the the delivery program, but then actually be. I guess, subject matter experts, if you like, in terms of working mm. alongside those organisations who had, in that case, very little time to make a lot of changes. Yeah. Um, so that's just another example of where there's a desperate need, and particularly in that sector. But, you know, going faster isn't always the right way either. So it's having that kind of nice balance. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult with some of those sorts of programmes as well, where sometimes you've, you've kind of got a chunk of days where you can work with an organization over a relatively short period of time. And it's, as you say, it's more about that kind of longer term change and that more sustainable change. Yeah, I mean, that's what we really hope to see. We've been doing quite a lot of advocacy around that, but, you know, yeah. really hopeful that it won't be too long before there's longer term funding. You know, we're talking two, mm. three years to really help an organization understand where they are now, make the right priorities from a digital perspective that's deeply aligned to their organizational strategy that is actually manageable by the size of the team the capacity that they have and then really kind of embed that change much more longer term so that the whole organization shifts and I'm talking particularly around smaller to medium-sized organizations mm -hmm. who often lack um, the sort of technology and the digital and the IT skills internally um, or they often maybe just have one person in that role and rely on external partners. Um, but really, this is all around quite long term change and doing it slowly, diligently, sustainably. Yeah. We're working on a program at the moment, actually, that's funded by an organization called Okta. It's their tech for good, um, tech for good program. Okta are a cybersecurity software organization. They're based out in the States, but, but kind of work globally. And actually the work with them, we're doing it in partnership with Charity Digital. What we've been doing for the last year is helping a number of organizations actually working with a team from each organization to help them build a digital strategy. 
And then we've just been funded for a second year to, to help those organisations start to embed that digital strategy whilst also meeting some of their more urgent you know, technology priorities. And that really gives you a sense of actually how long it takes <laughs> to yeah, really, yeah. Um, really work alongside them. Yeah, I think that's what what's really needed, isn't it? Um, I know we've we've both kind of said that from a funder perspective, what's generally always needed is uh, as unrestricted as possible and as long as possible, and usually as much as possible as well. But when um, when charities have received unrestricted funding, do you find? I don't know if you if you get a sense of this from your perspective. Uh, are organisations prioritising digital as something that they need, you know, when they have got that flexibility with their funding that they're then seeing that as a priority to invest in and reaching out to people like yourselves to to get support with that? Yeah, I guess mix. We don't, we haven't often seen a lot of unrestricted funding in the types of organisations that we typically have been working with. But then when the funding, you know, to your point, when there is funding around actually that kind of core capacity strengthening, it definitely is something that's when we get those those inbound, I guess, inquiries around actually now I can start really making sense of how digital needs to be a priority for us as a charity. Where do we even start? You know, mm-hmm. What happens next? And really helping them kind of build out that that roadmap for that journey but yes I think it definitely is a priority and it's a mix of skills strategy but also you know having the right infrastructure it's quite fundamental having the right tools having the right um, physical devices and it's not just laptops often it's actually um, you know their connectivity or it's actually a lot of services are delivered out on the road so actually how do we have the right devices um, to support us with that so it's a, it's a really big mix. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the term tech for good just before, and I, I thought it'd be worth um, digging into tech for good a bit more, but maybe starting by defining what that means, because it feels a bit like it's one of those terms that lots of people use in lots of different ways. <laughs> yeah, they do. And I think, yeah, so I guess my my role within Tech for Good has, has always been stewarding a local community network called Tech for Good Southwest, which is based primarily around the sort of Bath, Bristol region. And really Tech for Good to us is about the intentional use of technology to drive positive outcomes for people and planet. So it's really, really broad. And I think probably the way that we think about it from a Tech for Good Southwest perspective is uh, in one pillar if you like it's around digital in charities so it's everything that we've just been talking about Mm. it's the skills the confidence uh, it's training mentoring but primarily bringing the tech sector and the charity sector together to really kind of help support um, you know driving digital in charities it's also about particular technology challenges around the kind of the positive outcomes piece so it's about ethics so ethics in ai is a good example It's about technology skills, women in tech, diversity, green tech, you know, all these sort of actual technology challenges. And then I think finally, it's also around, um, for me, particularly from a community perspective, it's about regional collaboration. So actually, how can we really have a cross-sector approach to think about some of these challenges, to think about the digital divide, to think about digital skills in young people, older people, charities, 
and really have that kind of collaborate collaboration. And are there some examples that you could share perhaps in terms of how technology is impacting on, on some of the sort of big societal issues, um, whether that's sort of climate or mental health or um, any number of things, I suppose, that the, the sort of charity sector will be looking at um, examples of technology, maybe maybe by charities and social enterprises, but maybe by, by for-profit um, startups and so on as well. Yeah, so firstly, actually, from a Tech for Good Southwest perspective, um, you know, Bristol and Bath are, you know, we have a, have a big tech sector here and, and obviously further southwest as well. So the community is also really focused on tech for good business. So tech for good startups, making sure that actually, you know, we have as many people thinking about tech for good within the lens of, of what they do is really, really fundamental. And so that's when you start to see a little bit of a crossover, I suppose, between focus of a social enterprise doing tech for good that might be for example building mindfulness apps or like ecology that has that kind of carbon footprinting tool to actually you know digital in charities from a digital services perspective so one example might be um like the british red cross they have a first aid app that's a good example of of a kind of piece of tech for good really clearly supporting supporting um individual general public really and access social care actually is one of the organizations we've been working alongside they have a chatbot tool that supports access to free legal advice and they're really really scaling that at the moment just to try and really get extend their reach so you can start to see there's lots and lots of different ways technology can start to address some of the societal challenges but the flip side of that is technology is also a problem. <laughs> and, you know, I mentioned around AI um, and actually the sort of ethical use of AI being quite a big topic that's in the papers, for example, and in the news. You know, these are the things that we also need to think about. We also need to think about how maybe digital is leaving people behind. We have a big challenge in, you know, Bath is a very small place, but actually we have huge deprivation in parts of the city as well and yet we have huge wealth in in parts of the city and actually it's one of those places where the digital divide is really really obvious mm. and so actually how can we um one of the one of the projects actually that we are focusing on is how can we come together as a as a city it's a very small city but how can we come together to address these challenges what can we do in schools how can we support um parents how can we support teachers and carers so, yeah, these these are sort of some of the kind of broad challenges that we might sort of discuss from a tech for good perspective. Hi, please excuse this brief interruption. I'd love for more people in our sector to hear from our guests. So I'd like to ask a favour of you, please. If you're enjoying the podcast, please could you promote the show in whatever way suits you. This could be giving us a rating and following us on your podcast player or following us and sharing posts on social media or telling your contacts about us by email. Any of those would be a great help and greatly appreciated. And most importantly, thank you for listening. And so what's what's the focus for the Tech for Good Southwest community? What sort of things uh, does what sort of things are the network getting involved in? Yeah, so we originally actually probably a bit of a a bit of a history is we started off as Tech for Good Bath. Um and we we did that because we found that the only conversations that were happening from 
a sort of community perspective generally around tech for good we're all in London so we wanted to do something a little bit more local but also there is a international network of tech for good communities and we really wanted to also be part of a more global community and be aware of other conversations that were happening not just not just in our region not just in the UK but also more broadly than that a community set up around the same time in Bristol and after a couple of years we worked very closely together running communities is really hard and mm. organizing you know volunteer communities is it just takes takes time so we decided to join up together and do it have a sort of tech for good southwest focus that would also really encourage us to champion these conversations you know further across the southwest in devon and cornwall and further north of bristol and i guess what we're really focused on um particularly right now is sort of surfacing stories of tech for good so we have training and learning events, you know, an, an example might be some learning events specifically targeted at charities. So it could be around the latest release of Google Analytics, or it could be how to use how to use a particular CRM or how to make the best out of your CRM data or something quite specific. We also have events that are more around sharing insights and knowledge. So sometimes those might be more thematic. So it could be how to support young people with digital skills for example and then we would bring a few different speakers together for that and then ultimately it is about convening so it's convening different skills different sectors so we have you know good engagement from our councils from the combined authority based in Bristol and bringing that together with our tech sector our tech recruiters and with charities to really try and learn from each other but also problem solve together because I deeply believe that's where you know, change can really happen with with that regional collaboration. So practically, what we do is have events. Um, we've had a little bit less physical events recently because they are a bit more difficult to guarantee. You know, getting people out. <laughs> it's still mm. a bit of a hangover, I think, from um, from the COVID couple of years. We've got our website. We've got a newsletter where we're really trying to sort of surface not just what's happening regionally, but actually some interesting tech for good news from across the UK. And also recently launched our own podcast as a way to really have quite short stories that were very diverse from across the region that was related to Tech for Good. So actually people working in charities, but also people running Tech for Good startups or how do how do we find funding regionally for digital skills development, for example. So really trying to use the podcast as a way of actually getting much more momentum and surfacing actually some incredible individuals incredible organizations and really really deeply impactful projects that the region is trying to to work through yeah i think it's uh it's interesting the sort of regional networks uh in terms of what what's um yeah what's the difference now since covid in terms of actually getting people to events and things because i think as as you said, the, there's a real power there in convening um, different organisations and individuals and bringing people together, um, and that's where sort of magic really happens, isn't it? And and particularly for something like that, where I see the sort of the digital aspect of it, uh, the learning aspect can all, all be kind of virtual, and in, in a way, there's sort of less of a regional focus there because it's it could be relevant to anyone anywhere, um, but. But that bit about bringing people together, you really need to do more in person than on a, a sort of Zoom session. 
Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a challenge for those sorts of networks, isn't it? Because it's I think people now think, oh well, I can just jump on a Zoom call and or you know a webinar or something and kind of get what I need from it in you know kind of 60, 90 minute thing during the day rather than having to travel somewhere and spend some of my evening at a networking event and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. but I think you know we all inherently know that it's not the same. Uh, as being in person so what we're trying to do is really you know where it's perhaps more of a sort of showcase or learning type event we just do those online Mm. keep them quite short and then keep the kind of in-person events as really actually you travel to be here you obviously want to be with other people to network with other people to kind of make sense of things and chat through things so have that as more of convening style events we ran a um, unconference last may back in bristol and that's really for those those of you that don't know about unconferences it's really where there is no agenda but we co-create the agenda with the people in the room so you you obviously have to have some facilitation for that but people bring what topics they want to talk about and then you kind of co-create the agenda together and what's really special about that is that you know you've got a voice so you know that you're going to have really a chance to participate to find other people interested in the same topics that you are and we had about probably 80, 100 people at that unconference. And there was such a diversity in terms of the conversations, all the things I mentioned earlier. You know, some people really interested in, you know, technology volunteering. Some people really interested in funding and how do we make that work better? Some people really interested in, you know, accessibility and diversity in tech. So these conversations being so, so broad. Um, but as you say, it's, it's the convening that's where the magic is. Yeah. Um, and actually, a couple, I think it's about a couple of years ago now, a few of us that run Tech for Good communities across the UK, there's probably, off the top of my head, there's probably about 15 or so okay. kind of tech, tech for Good communities. And a group of us came together actually to launch a Tech for Good organisers uh, network so that we could actually be a support network for each other and sort of share and learn and you know, cross-pollinate, I guess, as well in mm. terms of actually that particularly if you've got online sessions it doesn't you don't have to be based in Bristol and Bath you can be anywhere to attend those and that's been really really helpful we actually all had we had a retreat a couple of weeks ago um actually there were 30 people or so at that retreat who were all running you know affiliated you know related to the kind of tech for good theme if you like across the UK and that you know that was really we had all the conversations there around actually how do you measure impact of convening how do you actually you know make sure that your events are going to be you know both accessible but also actually that people are going to turn up do you charge people do you not charge people all these sorts of questions I guess we muddle over a little bit together and and some we don't really have answers to we just have to go with with gut instinct a little bit I think (laughs) yeah no I'd love to have my magic wand is really trying to be able to you know, really demonstrate and prove the impact of convening in this way mm. around tech for good and that's you know we're still working on that it's, it's just really hard you know that you have yeah. deep impacts from from what people are doing as a result of having been part of your network um but that's really hard to justify and then you know get i guess financial support as well for these types of communities yeah it's really difficult to to evaluate isn't it and to come up with some some kind of clear outcomes where you can really um get the the causality between the 
the links and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, funding those types of networks is really tricky, isn't it, in terms of making that case. Um, out of interest with your, with your own conference where you had 100 people or so there, did you charge people to attend with that one or did you have any funding for it? Yeah, interesting. We didn't charge we haven't ever charged anyone before so I you know we've still got a bit of a a block around whether to do that or not but so mm. we didn't for that event and we did have some sponsorship um for the venue but also for a facilitator because you know that's really really key for these more convening style events is you know it can be one it can obviously be one of our, us as an organizing team but actually depending on what outcome you're trying to achieve you know actually you need to really invest in that careful design and facilitation of those events and what yeah. I found and um, particularly in this region is for example you know the councils are combined you know west of England combined authority they deeply get that convening is really fundamental and really really important so they are often the types of funders who will fund that type of event where right. it's a little bit harder to get more commercial sponsorship for those types of events when you know, actually, they often want a bit more of a presence and want to be yeah. a bit more visible at those type of type of type of events. So, yeah, it's a real it's an interesting, interesting challenge. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's difficult with those things as well, where you you want to maximize the number of people that are there. So that and, you know, if you charge, then that will reduce the numbers. Yeah, um, it's just kind of inevitable, isn't it? Um, yeah. Or getting that price point where, you know, people have made a little bit of a commitment so that they do. Yeah. yeah do turn up we're doing uh, yeah. a, bit of a bit of an experiment actually this year we have a we have quite a strong digital festival that runs we have one in bristol and one that runs in bath we've got a bath digital festival in july and so rather than really focusing on regular events through the year we're actually putting our our energy into having a tech for good theme across the week of the bath digital festival which is in july and that's really exciting because that's actually you know there's a lot of conversations around a lot of different things. Actually, how can we activate some of these groups to really bring that to the digital festival so that we do, we are having more of a purposeful conversation alongside obviously potentially more commercial conversations at the festival or case studies, if you like. Yeah. So we've got a number of events that we are looking to kind of help put together and then get sponsorship obviously for, for, for those different events. And one of them uh, just to give you an example, is a charity digital surgery. We've run a couple of these in the past, actually, but this one, you know, we've got a good good amount of time to also make sure we can fill the room with charities, but also with our local tech expertise as well to really have a sort of whole morning of Q&A and mm -hmm. you know, have experts across the sort of technology skill set to really be there to answer questions and provide, you know, I guess, next next steps and a bit of guidance um, for organisations that are in the room. So I think that's great. That's a collaboration with our local Baines 3SG, um, which is our third sector membership organisation, and also with some of the tech skills networks that we have across Bath and Bristol. We've also recently had the launch of Technology Volunteers, um, from Bristol it's actually a relaunch it's technologyvolunteers.org and that's really a place that brings together charity projects looking for volunteers but also uh, obviously a place for um, tech skills and tech people to sign up to do that volunteering I know there's a few of these types of things that already exist 
but it's really lovely to see that come out of Bristol particularly and that actually being something we can really signpost people onto that's one of the challenges we've had in the past is yes we're a tech for good network and yes we really want to support particularly the charity sector but actually running you know running that kind of level of volunteering and connecting is is you know it needs a big system <laughs> beneath yeah. it really and it needs capacity to run it so I think that's really exciting because it means things like this charity digital surgery you know there'll be somewhere for people to go on to and not just left after that um, yeah. session at the festival yeah and I think it's uh, an obvious area where you can get some really high impact volunteering isn't it when you've got people with those digital skills that are really able to lend that that expertise um, to charities looking at, at developing those sort of digital projects or, or getting those sort of foundational elements in place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you as well a bit about Dot Project, just your experience of um, setting up as a cooperative and, and working with that model uh, and how you've how you've tried different ways of working and how you think about sustaining your own organization and the services you deliver and um, how you can best uh, meet the needs of the charities you're supporting and so on. Um, so what, what's been your experience since you've set up and what you've tried, what you've learned? We've learned a lot. <laughs> we, um, so back in 2016, uh, when we founded Dot Projects, we, uh, at that time as well, we wanted to design the organisation uh, in a way that felt it was sort of sustainable, but actually worked in a, in a much more democratic way. So we did set up early on as a cooperative, be it only two of us at the time. Um, but what we really felt passionate about was actually everybody who works on a project makes it happen and that actually whatever your skills are it's we're all equal in terms of actually you know getting the getting the projects and getting the work work out the door and that was really important for us I think we also really wanted to design an organization that felt very supportive that actually really championed at the time particularly around women in tech it was a big conversation around um, you know, having more women, having more diversity. I think it's moved on so fast um, over the last few years since then. We really wanted to champion that. And we really wanted to show that we could do it in a, or demonstrate that we could do it in a different way and design an organisation that felt really close to us and part of us that was there for us. And that's really, um, we chose the cooperative model because that felt like it really fitted for us. And essentially what that means is the members of DOT Project I guess own and run the business we don't nobody really owns it we don't have shareholding we can't sell the business as such but what we do is co-organize and co-run um co-run dot project and over the years we've really sort of grown and shrunk and grown and shrunk and often we've been ramping up for some of the bigger programs we talked earlier about some of the funder programs that we've been working on and that's often required us to really scale um, and grow actually our membership particularly and I think that was probably one of the things we've learned with hindsight now is that we did some of that growth too quickly. Because I think, you know, actually having responsibility for organizing operationally a business is, is really hard and takes time alongside the project delivery. And it's not always something that everybody wants to be involved with. So I think that was, that's been one of the learnings that maybe as members, we, we might have grown a little bit slower. 
but I guess the way we work now is much more of an uh, associate model so actually we have quite a small membership team now but we obviously work with a lot of freelancers and other organizations that come regularly to just support the delivery of our projects with their specific skill sets um, we're a non-profit as well I think that fits really well in terms of actually the types of work that we do the communities that we support as well I feel that I think that's been something that the charities particularly have really valued in terms of feeling that you know actually we're we're sort of in it for the impact as well and actually really sitting alongside them so we've definitely iterated over the years more in terms of actually how our membership operates um, and also our ways of working we've predominantly been digital first anyway we used to run a lot of our workshops in person we then had to pivot and do all of that online it's really taking its time actually to get those back in person again mm -hmm. and we know that the work is done quicker if we have more in-person time so that can actually be quite a challenge from a budgeting perspective because you feel if you're delivering online it's actually going to cost less but often it, often it doesn't because you people can't sustain huge amounts of time working for example in workshops online right. I think one of the challenges that we've always had from the outset and particularly working alongside charity sector working alongside funders is how much to charge I guess and how much it costs to do the work so often when you're working on you know for national lottery or some of the larger public sector funders is you do have a cap on your day rate anyway yeah and then, but what that means is that we're obviously bringing in other specialist organizations and other freelancers to essentially deliver at you know, very low day rates, I suppose. In, and I'm talking particularly about um, tech skills as well, and actually what the demand is for them in the private sector. And we've been on a mission really to try and get as many, <laughs> as many freelancers and associates as we can to work alongside us because we deeply need their skills. But actually, it's also really it's really difficult to find anybody that's purely working in this in this sector uh, and not actually balancing that with more commercial work in order to balance, obviously, their income, particularly. So I think that's just been one of the challenges that we've really had to battle with over the years is is the price point and making sure that our work is accessible. We're very, very passionate about supporting small um, particularly smaller charities lack those skills internally that need the time need the mentoring and need that support longer term but actually doing lots of those <laughs> low day rates is actually an organizational challenge so yeah. I don't think we if you ever fully crack it we've tried to look at funding to have funding ourselves um we've also looked at getting investment which is very difficult if you're a cooperative and you don't essentially have shares i guess and, and ways of actually um, providing benefit to your investors other than social benefits we've looked at getting funding for digital uh, for dot project to deliver our work as well and that's was looking hopeful but then with the way that the economy's gone over the last year mm -hmm. that's now much more tricky to access as well so i think for now what we've done is really try and create as lean model as possible in order to be able to support the organizations that we want to support uh, at a at a cost that is valued um, to the organization but is is enough to get them where they need to go next are there any particular resources or, or organizations or anything that you'd recommend people check out if they want to 
um, learn a bit more about the whether it's either the tech for good side of things or the sort of charity digital capabilities or the potential sort of funding landscape or any of those sorts of things? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot out there. I think it is quite difficult sometimes to make sense of them and, and where they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you've probably mentioned it on another episode, but the Catalyst, um, mm. so the catalyst.org.uk, there's so many resources in there and also a lot of signposting. So resources, including things like, um, like how to write a digital brief um, and signposting also onto lots of other either vol- volunteering programs or other kind of specialist networks. One of them actually that I've always found um, been involved with as well in the past it's, it's really useful is dovetail and that's part of catalyst as well it's called i think the website is dovetail.network and that is essentially a network um or it's a portal really with a list of digital agencies or website developers that type or digital digital communications agencies that particularly work in the charity sector and what's really helpful is that you can just scan and see what kind of day rates they have what level of projects that they typically will take on and I think that's really really important because you know you waste time sending you know, we've had some feedback recently that we heard in another network of where I think a particular brief that came out from a charity had something like 60 different people respond to it which yeah. is not sustainable for a charity to actually then think what do I do with this yeah. so I think that really helps to look at actually what's the size of your project and not approaching um, agencies that just don't work at at the sort of smaller budgets. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of emerging sort of volunteering and I think advice spaces. So there's Digital Candle that have the free, um, I think it's one hour calls. So you'll have lots of tech volunteers that have offered just to give their time to chat through any questions um, that you might have as a charity. and then I think there's, well, things like technology volunteers that I just mentioned is a relative new one, but there's also some quite well-established reach volunteering um, networks like that that really help connect charities charities with experts. Um, so, yeah, I think those are a few. I think one of the things I would obviously really promote is getting involved with any of the Tech for Good networks or, or communities that might be where you're based or if you're just interested obviously in in kind of being part of that world there are lots of virtual communities as well like digitalcharities.org that's a great community for people that are in digital roles in charities I don't think that they are there are obviously some larger charities um represented in there but I don't think um you know it's all specifically larger organizations they're just a few that kind of come to mind yeah yeah and if people are looking for those tech for good communities near them, are they is there like a, a central sort of website where you can find a list of them or do you just have to kind of do a bit of Googling and digging around? You can definitely do the Googling and digging around, but what we've tried to do in tech for good organizers, so that is techforgoodorganizers.uk, is really try to start to um, surface all of those different networks because some of them won't, not many are even called tech for good for example some of them will be called like digital for good or yeah sort of tech soup which is actually the international network i referred to earlier so some will be called that as well but that if you go to techforgoodorganizers.uk you should start to see some of the ones that we've been able to surface as community organizers ourselves right well thank you Anna. that has been um really fascinating insight into 
all things tech for good and charity digital. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to share before we finish uh, or any, any requests of the listeners or any potential audience? <laughs> no, I think just, you know, get involved, particularly with local networks. I think what we're really seeing and I'm observing in just in Bath, Bristol, for example, is there's just quite a surge in, particularly from the tech sector, people that just want to volunteer their time, people who want to get involved with local initiatives, and particularly with a lot of remote working that people are doing now, really sensing that people want to be involved on the ground where they live in community initiatives and projects. Mm. So I think if you are one of those people, then definitely just get in touch with your local charity networks or volunteering networks um but also if you're a charity as well there are so many people out there that want to help you but uh, appreciate obviously takes time as well so I think maybe go through some of those advice um, resources that I mentioned um and actually just see what's happening locally and and see if you can get involved with your local tech networks as well I think there's just such an opportunity when we come together to kind of support each other to learn to share resources you know, it's impossible to keep on top of everything, particularly in, in the sort of digital landscape. You're never going to know all the answers. It's such a massive, huge field. And, you know, it's actually part of everything that we do now. So you're never going to know all the answers and that's okay. Um, but somebody probably very near you does. Yeah. yeah I think the, the first step is working out what the question is, isn't it? Before Always, even, yeah. uh, even think about what the answers might be. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, great thanks Annie. thanks so much for coming on that's been great yeah thank you thank you for listening to the charity impact podcast please give us a rating and follow us on your podcast player or on twitter linkedin or facebook and if you think this episode would be of interest to someone in your network please do share the web page on social media or by email